Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good winter weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Celebrate food and life and of course the season by learning about the culinary scene all around the world. Every weekend on this show, you'll hear from chefs and artisan food makers, farmers and authors, travel experts, sommeliers, tastemakers, and more, all of whom are passionate about everything delicious. And it's my goal to feed your soul. So please don't touch your dial because I have an hour of scintillating and delicious conversation coming up. I hope that this weekend finds you healthy and well and wearing a mask. I'm always serving up seconds, by the way, at chefjamie.com. And on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, you'll find me at Chef Jamie Gwen. You can also hear radio podcasts of shows you might have missed on iTunes, of course. Just search Jamie Gwen and you will find me. And maybe it's because whether you love to cook or love to eat, I like to say we can definitely be friends. But every season has a food association for me that really brings it alive with flavor. And it's just about this time that I start to dream of a tartatan. No matter how perfect or imperfect it looks on the plate, a tartatan still tastes like something that came directly from heaven. And it's a glorious sight, a tartatan, don't you think? When you want to pull out all the stops at the holidays, this is my go-to dessert. So, here's what makes a tartatan so fabulous. Even if your crust isn't perfect, even if it crumbles the puff pastry a bit when you flip it over, even if it's not perfectly centered on your serving platter, I have to say there is something uber impressive about it. Now, the classic tartatan is an upside down tart where fruit, which is typically apple, is caramelized in a pan with butter and sugar, topped with a pastry dough, I choose puff pastry, and baked to perfection. Then the tart is flipped over before serving, so it's caramelized juices trickle down to the crust. But it's the caramel that is the tart's heart and soul. And like other caramelized desserts, it has a few common ingredients, but it turns into something far greater than expected. Tartatan is not pie. It is apples, cooked down to their absolutely perfect juices, right? And it's soft, but it's still resilient. And it's just such a far cry from apple pie. So this is my tutorial on a tart to tan. And it will make you a master in no time. Because as you know, I like to kick off this show with a method, a technique that will make you the best cook you know in your kitchen. And so if you want to master anything this holiday season, I'm sure that your molasses cookie is brilliant and your gingerbread men are handsome, that you can braise a chicken like there's no tomorrow and short ribs over polenta, that might be your thing. But a tartatan to add it to your repertoire, oh, you will be a culinary hero. So my best chef's tip 
for tart to tan. Plain old Granny Smith apples, they're fine, and most every recipe you see will call for them. But honey crisp apples are better. They hold up really well in what is a rigorous caramelization and baking process. And I love that sweet tart flavor that translates into very pure apple goodness pitted against the rich caramel. Now, that said, you should feel free to experiment with any other apple variety or a mix of varieties. If you can go apple picking near your house, well, go for it. Anything that holds up well for baking, as far as an apple is concerned, will work well. Now, I cut my apples into quarters for a tart to tan, which helps hold their shape without turning them into applesauce. And I find that if you cut them any smaller, you definitely are in trouble. Now, you can make a tart to tan with other fruit, like a quince or Asian pear, a, a similar hearty fruit like an apple. Softer fruits like uh, pears or apricots, you actually add them later. You can do it with peaches too during peach season. Ooh, a peach tart tan just made myself hungry again. Uh, you can do them uh, these tart tan with softer fruit, but you add it to the skillet uh, later on in the cooking process. You make the caramel and then add the fruit later. I happen to love an apple tart tan because from start to finish, I, I will say it is far easier than you think. And it really is a one pan wonder. Now here's my best chef's tip. A salted caramel tart to tan. Oh yes. You can either add a half a teaspoon of salt to the caramel as it cooks, or you can sprinkle, well, and or you could sprinkle the top of the finished tart to tan with crunchy sea salt and then serve it. Oh yes. Now, Allow me to digress for just a moment because there has been a road to Tartatan. The Tartatan was said to have been created accidentally at the Hotel Tatan in France, about 100 miles south of Paris, in the 1880s. You see, the hotel was run by two sisters, Stephanie and Caroline Tatan. And there are conflicting stories about the tart's origin, but the most common is that Stephanie Tatan, who did most of the cooking, was overwhelmed one day. She started to make an apple pie. The apples were left cooking in butter and sugar for too long. She smelled it starting to burn. She tried to rescue it by putting pastry on top. And then she put the whole pan in the oven. And after, after she turned the tart upside down, she was surprised when she served it how much the hotel guests appreciated the dessert. And the tart became a signature dish of the Hotel Tatan. Now, research suggests, by the way, that it did become a specialty, but they never set out to create a signature dish. They never wrote a cookbook, published a recipe. And so we do thank them. But as far as I'm concerned, you can take this tutorial to the bank and you can call it your own. Now, I guess the biggest conversation topic to be had when it comes to tart to tan is all about the flip. Please don't be intimidated by the flip. In many ways, it's actually the least stressful part of making a tart to tan. I sort of worry most, I will say, and yes, as a professional chef, having cooked for many, many years at this point already, I worry about the point at which I pull the apples and the caramel to bake because I want it just at the, that absolute moment of not burnt, not too dark, but deeply caramel. 
The flip for me is all about running a knife around the edge of the crust, getting a firm grip on the plate and the skillet, which is really the sandwich, right, before you flip it. And the tart doesn't have to be smoking hot when you do it, but it must be warm so that you do get the release from the pan. I always do it with oven mitts on, by the way, in case of falling caramel. And you should know, if it eases your mind at all, that the flip is not of great concern because the tart tatin is still warm, so you can easily nudge the apples that move back into place or that fall out of line or even those that stick to the pan. And no matter what happens during the flip or how dark the caramel is, the tart tatin will taste incredible. It's a sure thing. So have some ice cream, preferably vanilla bean, or some tangy creme fraiche on hand for spooning over the top. And trust me, no matter how imperfect, or as I like to call it, rustic, your tart tatin is, it is guaranteed to be a total win. Now, I've posted my best tart tatin recipe. You'll find it amazing. It's just five ingredients at chefjamie.com. So please do check it out, print it out. And if you have questions or you want to share the beauty of your finished tart tatin, please email me direct, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. Don't touch your dial this hour because coming up, is there anything grander than a smoked prime rib? I don't think so. We are celebrating the season with grilling guru Ray Sheehan. We're dishing on downright delicious grilled or smoked prime rib, and you don't want to miss it. Also stopping by, one of uh, my favorite food lovers, in fact. She is Rebecca Lindemood, and she has truly delectable ideas for everything veggie. Your vegetable side dishes are about to get better. So stay tuned. She has lots to share. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. I'm grateful you're listening. Don't go away. Satiate your appetite and please your palate. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. A grand prime rib roast, oh, is a thing of beauty. And by grilling it or smoking it, gas, charcoal, wood, you really get a whole lot of flavor. And what better way to celebrate the holidays than with a beautiful prime rib? Need some sage advice for cooking one of those babies? Well, Ray Sheehan to the rescue. 
Ray is a certified Kansas City Barbecue Society judge, a member of the National Barbecue Association, and his Memphis Mott Barbecue Sauce won Best Barbecue Sauce in the World. He is a grilling guru, and I am delighted to coin him our grill correspondent on the radio. Taking your grilling and smoking to the next level, Ray Sheehan is back to dish. Happy holidays, Ray. I'm so glad to have you once again. Hey, Jamie. How are you today? <laughs> and doing well, thank you. Safe and healthy and grilling up a storm, I bet. Okay, where do we start? I, I love a prime rib, by the way. It's a centerpiece, I would like to call it. It takes a little bit of effort, but it's so well worth it. And I don't think there's any better time than at the holidays. So uh, let's start at the beginning. When you talk about a prime rib, it's really a rib roast. Prime right. refers more to the grade. Yes. You know, prime is, is an, a really delicious and uh, flavorful cut. But choice and black Angus are all acceptable as well. Um, Angus typically has rich and high marble score with lots of tenderness as well. Mm. You know, the higher the grade, the more intramuscular and uh, marbling, more flavor equals more tenderness. Mm. But I always say you can't have enough flavor, so you want to get the meat on the bone. I really avoid boneless when I'm trying to do a prime rib. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I say very often on this show that everything tastes better on the bone. So unless it's January and you're eating lean and clean, um, I say chicken breasts on the bone. I say um, a crown roast of pork with the bone. Pork chops, double cut preferably with the bone. Yes, everything tastes better on the bone. You're exactly right. And I think the prime rib uh, is is no exception, but it it might be the perfect example. Okay, let's say you're serving prime rib for a Christmas feast. Um, Give us the lowdown. Uh, How much do you consider per person? And what's the average size of a prime rib you put on your grill or in your smoker? I will serve, like I'll say one rib for every two people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll usually do, you know, like a six-pound prime rib. It's probably around average size of one that I'm going to smoke. Right. And when you ask the butcher, oftentimes uh, they'll ask you how many ribs or how many bones, right? So your six-pounder is probably what, uh, four bone? Yeah, around four bones. Yeah, yep. definitely so. And then uh, talk about the fat cap, if you would. I think this is really important. If I'm going to be cooking my prime rib in the oven... I'm going to have it at a higher temperature, mm-hmm. and I'm going to want to keep more of that fat cap on it. But since we're going to be smoking it or grilling it, I want to I want to expose that meat to the smoke. I want to start building my layers of flavor mm-hmm. and building my crust. So I'm going to only leave about a quarter of an inch of the fat cap on the surface. So this way, the marbling and what fat there is will start to melt or render as the meat smokes to build my crust. Okay, so when I make a prime rib in in the oven, I'll tell you, I don't pre-season, right? I, I make my paste and right. rub it all over. Yeah. A different process. I think that, that great cooks need to be mindful that when you're going to the grill or the smoker, you get, as you mentioned, different temperature, different cooking times, and the process, the 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 chemical breakdown of the meat and the protein itself is very different. So one must pre-season. For smoking, I highly recommend it. Yes. This way it gives the, the spices a chance to work on the meat overnight. Mm. Um, at, at this point, if you were so inclined and you wanted to um, help with your tenderness, you can inject it with a little beef broth if you like. Okay. Um, or for, 
for flavor. Sure. But that's, I would do it there. I would do it the night before. So you fire up your smoker. I fire up my gas grill. What temp? Okay. Um, what if we want to use some wood on a gas grill or even charcoal? What, what's your wood preference of choice? Give us the lowdown. On a smoker, I like to be around 275. Okay. Um, on the grill, we're going to go indirect. So move your hot coals to one side and then put the prime rib on the cold side and close the lid. If I'm Likewise, doing a gas grill, that's my two zone, right? Right. If okay. you're going to do your gas grill, light one burner or light two of the burners out of the four, half of however many you have. Yes. And to infuse some smoke flavor in on a gas grill, um, I purchased one of these little metal boxes that you can put wood chips in. Yep. And and they they work great on a, on a gas grill. Yeah, you know what I do on my Twin Eagles grill, right? It's not kind of a cheat, but I take a disposable aluminum pie pan and I poke holes in it. I soak yep. the wood chips, take them out of the water, pile them in the pie pan, and throw the pie pan in the back corner where the heat on my two-zone setup is coming from. And then I put Perfect. the cut, you know, the, the big rib roast on the other side of the grill. And you want to make sure that your uh, temperature gauge is working well so that you get an accurate reading of the temperature inside of the grill for sure. As far as wood types go, yeah, usually like a, a mild fruit wood would work well, like mm. an apple or a cherry. Okay. Cherry's really great Ooh, with nice. beef. Yeah. If you like a more pronounced smoke, I mean, you could do hickory, but mm. that might be a little strong. So... My my secret is pecan wood for prime rib. Pecan wood, smoked prime rib. When is my invitation coming, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't gotten it yet. I mean, I know there's a pandemic and all, but really. Um, as soon as everything opens up. Thank you. All right, when things settle. Ray, you are a, a mean grilling machine, I have to tell you. And I love that I can come to you and say, hey, what's for Christmas dinner? And you tell me prime rib. And then you share all the secrets. So uh, for 2020, uh, I would like to personally thank you for sharing with us so much expertise, so much passion. I hope we can continue in 2021. Uh, You are very valued here. And I thank you for being a part of something that I love. Uh, Certainly food is to be shared and uh, you've been ever generous. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) I really, I really enjoy it. I love coming on and, and oh, nice. talking you. about all these wonderful foods with you. Thank you. And uh, oh. cheers to, to a Prime Rib. Yes, to to all the hope that twenty twenty one brings for sure. Uh, cheers to a brilliant Prime Rib. Uh, I do say we have the best culinary thinkers on this show, and we do. When I talk about experts, I talk about the best in their field, and Ray Sheehan is that guy. His new cookbook entitled Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them was just named Cookbook of the Year. It's also a top pick on Amazon, so please check it out. Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them. And you can follow him at BBQ underscore Buddha on social media. That's BBQ underscore B-U-D-D-H-A. Ray, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you before the end of the year, of course, but I'll uh, look forward to seeing you on the radio in 2021. Thank you again, my friend. Thank you. Yes, always a pleasure. As the delicious conversation continues, okay, now I am so hungry for prime rib, aren't you? There is more fabulous food in your radio right after this. 
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and season's eatings to you. Do you want to cook like a pro? Well, you found the right place. Because if you're tired of racking your brain for new and interesting ways to cook vegetables, Rebecca Lindemood to the rescue. Yes, you know her from her award-winning and super fabulous blog, Foodie with Fam, of course. Her third cookbook just released, the author of Not Your Mama's Canning Book and Ready, Set, Dough, has just released a book entitled The Ultimate Guide to Vegetable Side Dishes, making it easy and tasty to incorporate more vegetables into everyday cooking. It is full of mouth-watering recipes from cauliflower bacon cheddar tots to her roasted honey and ginger carrots to whipped feta stuffed cherry tomatoes I can't wait to make. And Rebecca's new book will get you excited to finish your vegetables for sure. It's really a dinner game changer in my opinion when your side dishes are elevated. And so we're going to make meal changers for you right now. I love having Rebecca on the show. She is filled with talent and enthusiasm and a passion for food. She is also the mother of five fabulous boys and a full-time food blogger, amongst many other things. She's a wonderful cook, and you'll love her ideas. And Rebecca, I am so delighted to have you back on the show. Welcome and happy holidays. Thank you. Happy holidays, Jamie. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you for having me back. Yes, of course. Congratulations. You know, I have to say, when you say vegetable side dishes, I almost feel like we should say, Mm-hmm, like ho-hum, right? You think to yourself, yeah. oh, I'll make the same old blank. And um, I took your book to bed with me. Um, don't tell your <laughs> husband. And, um, and I loved page after page marking everything I couldn't wait to make and really inspired recipes. And I think at this time, at the end of the year, Certainly a wonderful refresher, but as we embark on 2021, what a wonderful way to mix it up. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to bring some fun back to vegetable side dishes because <laughs> yes. like you said, so often we think of this as an obligatory part of the meal. It's, a, it's an afterthought. All of the effort goes into our main dish when we have the opportunity to lay a rainbow, literal and figurative, on our table that makes everything more fun and prettier. Yeah, definitely so. so. This, is, this is my love letter to vegetables. When, and, and that it is. When you add bright color and exciting flavors in the side dishes, I think it elevates the rest of the meal. Like there is something sure very does. sensory about it, right? So we have to cook together because... I'll start on page 14. I couldn't get past that. And by the way, there's like an introduction and, uh, you know, lots of insight uh, along with a table of contents. So really, it's probably the first recipe in the book. But let's talk the basics first. You make mashed potatoes with cream cheese. And that delights me because I put cream cheese in everything. Well, I... I have joked before that I should have been born in Philadelphia because <laughs> cream cheese, it completes me. It fills the holes in my heart, yes. so to speak. Yes. I just, I love cream cheese and it does such magical things for mashed potatoes. It's an emulsifier, it, I, I will say. It is. Definitely so. And it does add a mouthfeel that is hard to beat. The other beautiful part of this is that you don't have to add any milk if you're mm. adding cream cheese. Hmm. So smart. So I just add butter and cream cheese. 
And, and everybody comes back for more of these potatoes. Oh, definitely so. Are you a ricer or a masher or a smasher? It depends on what I'm serving it with. For okay. the most part, my, my personal preference is to rice it. Me too. Um, if, if I'm just doing a quick family meal and we want to have mashed potatoes on the table, I'm probably likely not to peel them, and I'll just give them a quick smash with a potato masher. Yes. But it, you know, it, it really depends on the circumstances. But if if I have my druthers, those potatoes will be rice. Yeah, my my Thanksgiving mashed potatoes, if I may humbly say, were stellar, and they were riced, and it was worth every bicep push to get them <laughs> riced and a big pot of mashed potatoes for three of us. By the way, one of one of which is eight months old. Um, he did love okay. mashed potatoes, though. I will tell you, my son. Oh, did he say, love that is them? Perfect. That's perfect eight-month-old food. Yes, it's baby so food. That makes wonderful sense. Oh, the mouthfeel was just immense. Um, and from mashed to roasted, um, I can't wait to make your buffalo roasted potatoes. I love buffalo anything. I do too, and I—I I mean, part of that is part of that is geography. I live <laughs> very near to Buffalo, yes, and I spend about six days a week in the city of Buffalo. So I feel like I've got a pretty solid claim to have a good handle on what constitutes a buffalo potato. Yes, and so give us the lowdown. You make big batches of garlic buffalo wing sauce, which is so smart, right? You keep them in mason jars in the fridge, I assume, and you then use it for everything. I love to have a jar of buffalo garlic sauce in the refrigerator because my kids like to put it on everything, for yeah. starters. Yeah, And it's, it's really easy to make a large batch of it and then just kind of have it available for whoever wants it. I have one child who will eat half of a of a hard-boiled <laughs> egg and fill it with garlic buffalo sauce. Oh, no, that's a like great a idea. That's a great idea. Yeah, and he drinks the buffalo sauce and then eats the egg. Very smart. And these buffalo roasted potatoes, I notice, and one of the things I love about the way you cook is you are very um, sensical about time and timing, but you are a high heat oven girl and I am I too. Am. And I think we should talk about that before we dig deeper into buffalo roasted potatoes because veggie side dishes roasted at high heat as opposed to anything lower are really far more stellar. They are. They, the texture is something that you can't get from a lower heat oven. Mm-hmm. You can get a, a nice slow caramelization in something in a, in a low heat oven. But if you want that shattering crisp outside and that super fluffy inside on a potato, you don't have an alternative. It has to go into a hot oven. Yes. So you roast these at 450 degrees. That's correct. And and they get all golden. And the buffalo wing sauce seeps in, right? I mean, you you really get depth of flavor here. You sure do. Mm. And you, you don't have the buffalo sauce on the potatoes through the entire process. Right. So you're, you're developing that crust on the potato before you toss it with the buffalo sauce. And then you pop it back in to finish roasting, and that's when it really soaks into that crunchy crust mm. and makes a potato that's hard to stop eating. Yeah, no, no doubt. Addictive. Craveable, I like to say. Okay, you've made me hungry. All right, we're, um, we're switching vegetables, I should say. Uh, because, by yeah. the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late. Rebecca Lindemood is here. The new book release, The Ultimate Guide to Vegetable Side Dishes, 14 different veggies from broccoli to zucchini, A to Z. Um, 
And let's talk <laughs> broccoli if we could. Okay, I have a broccoli stem story. But before that, share with us, you're a broccoli stem kind of person. And I love that about you. Yes. Well, I have a, I, I do my best to produce zero waste in the kitchen. Good That's not always entirely possible. But when it comes to broccoli, there's no part of broccoli that goes to waste in my kitchen. Hmm. The stem is fantastic. Yes. I don't know why more people don't love it. So I like to shave it up and toss it with a vinaigrette. And in this case, I have two broccoli stem salads in the book. One of them has feta, golden raisins, and toasted nuts. Oh, that's the one I'm and making. Yeah, they all just complement each other so nicely. It's a riot of texture mm. and of different flavors. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, yummy. So I was introduced to the idea of utilizing broccoli stems many years ago when I was a child, a kid. At five, my mother um, told me at the sushi bar that everything was tuna fish. So I ate it. And the sushi (laughs) chef, who we still have a relationship with today, a lot of years later, he would take the stems of the broccoli and peel just the exterior and leave them like a little tree stump as a garnish on the plate, Rebecca. And it was crunchy and juicy and delicious. And I remember loving them. And so as I grew up and came up in the world as a chef, I've always utilized the stems. Now, even if I'm roasting the florets, I will peel just the rough exterior, the fibrous exterior of the stem. And that's my chef's treat. I snack on the stems while I'm cooking the rest of the vegetables. So when I saw you making shaved broccoli stem salad, I was overjoyed, really. Rebecca, I don't want to let you go, and we have to take a quick break. Will, will you keep all your vegetable ideas brewing and stay with us, please? I would be thrilled to. I'm Thank delighted. You. Good. When we come back, I have two words. And how could you not want to make it? Tomato inception. Yes, we are dishing with Rebecca Lindemood, the ultimate guide to vegetable side dishes. Up your game. And don't touch your dial. There's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't go away. Lighting your palate with informative, entertaining, and delicious conversation. Well, at least I hope you think so. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Rebecca Lindemood is here. The blog Foodie with Fam. Her third cookbook just released. The Ultimate Guide to Vegetable Side Dishes. Because you no longer have to rack your brain for new and interesting ways to cook veggies. Where we left off, Rebecca? Tomato Inception. Okay, do tell. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So when I was putting together this tomato inception dish, and I realized I had tomato within tomato within tomato, all I could think about was the movie Inception. It may have been due to the fact that my kids were watching it for the umpteenth time in the other room, 
but it just seems like an appropriate way to describe a dish that was using so many forms of tomato <laughs> together in one pan to create almost like a super tomato dish, super concentrated, very um, fragrant, very flavorful, full of every type of tomato that you can remember tasting. Okay, so what would you call this? Would you call this tomato casserole, tomato pie, crustless tomato pie? I I mean, I I have to tell you, along with meat or with anything, with any protein, you could serve this beautiful dish. Yes, I think, honestly, if I was going to describe it most accurately, it would probably be a crustless tomato pie. Okay. It has a lot of flavor of that southern-style tomato pie that has a pimento cheese-type mm, topping. Yes. But it does not have a lower crust. So this is, this is a scoopable casserole, but it still tastes like a tomato pie. Right, and it has everything I love in it. If I may run down, uh, you have ingredients that call for Roma tomatoes or plum, right? And then Mm -hmm. uh, onion and garlic. There's sun-dried tomatoes, which I love. Put in anything. There's tomato paste. There's basil and thyme and shredded sharp cheddar and shredded mozzarella. And then there is the key ingredient, which makes everything better, mayonnaise. And then hot sauce and panko crumbs and olive oil. How could it be bad? You know, when you top anything with crunchy, garlicky breadcrumbs, I'm, I'm going to eat it. Yes. You know, I I may just go for the topping if the rest is sad, but I will eat it. As it happens, every part of this makes me happy. Mm. I am a Brussels sprouts fan. I think America has embraced Brussels sprouts over the past many years. You can get them on the vine. You can get them already cleaned. You can shave them in a salad. You um, and I share a love for uh, air fried Brussels sprouts. And I loved your crispy air fried Brussels sprouts with a sweet and spicy glaze recipe. Oh, that one makes me happy. That's mm. one where I can I can kind of ignore the, the main dish if this is on the table. Talk brus- uh, Brussels sprouts with grapes and walnuts because that will be the first Brussels sprouts recipe from your cookbook that I make. You may want to write a note to yourself giving yourself permission to eat too and stopping. Oh, oh! you, you finished because the tray, didn't you? I did. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and it felt great while I was eating it, and it did not feel great later. I gotcha. Yeah, no, in moderation. I ate the entire pan sure. of Brussels sprouts by myself. With grapes and walnuts. The grapes get all blistery on the sheet pan, and the walnuts all toasted. What a lovely combo. Yeah, and when you pull that hot pan out of the oven, you mm. hit it with a little balsamic vinegar mm. and some coarse sea salt flakes. Mm over the top and then you get the texture from the salt and the the balsamic vinegar bubbles up on the hot sheet pan and reduces itself just enough and it plays so nicely with the grapes and the Brussels sprout and the walnut. That's just beautiful. So smart. Um, Can we talk about the oven a little longer, please? Because I saute mushrooms in a saute pan. Very chef-like. I talk about it a lot. You don't salt them until they've released their natural water content. Um, It's a process. Mm -hmm. I embrace it, but then as I'm turning the pages of your book, I see the oven-seared mushrooms and the crispy roasted radishes, and you really do use the oven and your cast iron and your sheet pans to your benefit. I do. I make them do the work for me. Yes. I, I was trained to cook mushrooms in a saute pan as well, and I, there is nothing like those in the world. They, they are fantastic when they're made that way. But every now and then, I just don't have the time to babysit it. Of course. 
And using this super high temperature on a metal pan takes so much of the babysitting out of the equation. Yeah, it's so you smart. You heat the pan up while you're heating up the oven, and it is screaming hot, and you throw the mushrooms on there, you're getting that beautiful caramelization mm. with a fraction of the effort. Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. 475 degrees. And the secret is to heat the pan as the oven comes up to temp. That's right. You can't throw the cold pan in there and expect it to do the same thing. It's, it's got to be in there getting blisteringly hot with the oven. Sure. You really have put a, a gorgeous collection of recipes together using very available store-bought ingredients, Rebecca, that shares new inspiration. And kudos to you. You know, I'm, I, I see, like you do, a lot of cookbooks past my, my desk and my kitchen counter. Um, and this book of yours, this third, you've, you've really outdone yourself. It is full of glorious inspiration, and I am so excited to cook from it. Uh, so thank you for sharing your passion. As always, we love having you here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yes. And have, have some wonderful holidays. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of informative, entertaining, and scrumptious conversation. Well, at least I hope you thought so. And because I believe that food tells a story every weekend, I tell it here. And I do hope that you'll tune in. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation and dialogue for today. No oven, no egg whites, no fryer. In just five minutes, you will have the most gloriously addictive cocktail snack or something to dress your beautiful board with cheese, meat, and what else do you need? candied walnuts. That's right. They're also the perfect topping for salads or how about sweets? I like them crumbled over ice cream. And there is no need to toast the nuts first with my recipe because they toast in the pan as they caramelize. So these are my two easy, I call them, candied walnuts. You take a cup of walnuts, a quarter cup of sugar, a tablespoon of butter, and a pinch of salt in a non-stick pan. And over medium heat, you stand and stir constantly for about five minutes. The sugar mixture goes dark golden. The nuts are all toasty. You transfer them to a silicone baking mat or parchment paper. Let them cool. Break them apart. Pour yourself a cocktail and dig in. I will post my two easy candied walnuts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram now. Just search Chef Jamie Gwen and please become a fan and a friend and meet me here next weekend when the delicious dialogue continues. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen wishing you a very happy holiday season. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you continue to eat well. Well.